Well, good afternoon, Mercy Culture. It's good to see you guys. I was going to say this morning, but we just worshiped right on through that, didn't we? How many of you are recuperating from spring forward? Hey, when are they going to stop that mess? It is not of God. But we got an extra hour of daylight at least. But it's good to see everybody this afternoon. Welcome to Mercy Culture Church, where we love God, we love people, and we love mercy. The vision of Mercy Culture is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. Can we just put our hands together and thank the worship team this morning for consistently leading us into the presence of the Lord. We're so thankful to have a church that every time we gather together, the Lord meets us. And every time he does, I'm still amazed. Week after week, you came and you met us here again. And while that is so vitally important to the call of God upon this house, that is not the only part of our vision at Mercy Culture. But we want to help disciple people from these encounters with the Lord to a daily personal encounter with God. And what does that mean? It simply means that you can commune with the Lord every day. And we know one thing to be true, that if you can hear the voice of God and have the faith to do what he tells you to do, you cannot fail. Because God is smarter than us. Can I get an amen? I don't know how you parent without hearing the Lord. I don't know how you are a spouse without hearing the Lord. I don't know how you get out of bed in the morning and put your shoes on without hearing the Lord some days. We need the voice of God in our lives. And daily personal encounters are the way that we learn how to commune with the Father. It is when we become so hungry for his presence that everything else becomes secondary. Y'all that have been coming to Mercy Culture Waco for a while know that one of the ways I connect with God is through food. No, it is not a connect with God way. When you go through MC Connect, it's not, but I've been emailing them anonymously. <laughs> them, that would be our church. Info at Mercy Culture. Like, do I recognize that name? Uh, yes, I've been emailing. I connect with God through food, but my hunger for the Lord even overtakes my hunger for food. And that's why when God says to fast, we can push away the plate and we can seek the Lord. When God calls us out of bed in the early morning hours to come and commune with him, even that sleep, which is so precious. Some of y'all connect with God through sleep. Even that sleep, which is so precious, we are drawn to encounter the Lord. And that is what we are passionate about at Mercy Culture Church. And we want to help you discover how you best connect with God because we don't all connect with God in the same way. We connect with God in different ways. And we uh, have a process to help you connect with God that we call MC Connect. It is the first step in being a part of Mercy Culture Church, learning about our culture, learning how to be involved and serve. But even beyond that, most importantly, MC Connect is the way in which we disciple you into those daily encounters with the Lord. So if you want more information, you can text the word CONNECT to 59090. We'll send a link back to you. It is a life-changing process. But this morning, I am so excited because we have not a guest, but we have our senior pastor with us this morning, Pastor Heather Schott. And for those of you, for those of you that don't know, Mercy Culture is one church in many locations. And pastors Landon and Heather founded Mercy Culture Church in Fort Worth four years ago, four, four years ago, 
I can't believe it's only been four years. Next month will be four years. And we launched Mercy Culture Waco this past April. We launched in Easter. So we're coming up on our year anniversary. Yeah. It's going to be a fun Sunday. We want to welcome you to our temporary location, the tent. Listen, if you can preach in the tent, you can preach anywhere. You ever seen that meme where the guy is sitting at the table and the whole house is on fire and he's just drinking coffee? This morning we had wind blowing, kids screaming, the fire alarms going off, people talking, cars in the parking lot. I'm like, if you can preach through this, you can preach through anything. But this is our temporary location. Right out those doors, there's a building that we are under construction on right now as we speak. They are working on that building, and we will be in our new home in just a few short weeks. It's going to be beautiful and an incredible place. But this morning... uh, Pastor Heather is with us, as I said, and my wife Nikki and I have known Pastors Landon and Heather for most of my adult life. It's been going on 17 years now, just over 17 years now, and we have been with them through the good times and the bad. We've been in times of plenty and in times of great need, and as they've continued to to thrive in ministry and become more well-known throughout the nation and around the world, I get a lot of questions The number one question that we get often is, are they really like that? Are they the same behind closed doors that they are in front of everybody else? And I can tell you, I've walked with these people through the thick and the thin. They're our best friends in the world, and they are the real deal. They've sought the face of the Lord. They have leaned into integrity and righteousness and honor, even when it cost them everything. They've refused to compromise, and God's hand of favor is upon them. And it is my honor as your pastor to be able to submit under their leadership. I want to welcome Pastor Heather. Honor is one of the values of this house. Let's stand to our feet and welcome her this morning. Can we just give it up to Jesus 10 times louder? Come on. Give him all the glory. Is he worthy of all of the praise? He's been so, so good. Come on, don't just give him a religious hand clap. Has he been good in your life? Lord, we give you all of the glory, all of the praise, all of the worship, and all of our adoration. Because King Jesus, you are so good. You are worthy of all of our praise, all of our love, all of our attention. You're worthy of it all. Jesus, you're worthy of it all. Even when some of us don't know how to give you it all yet. Because still we fail to see how good you are. Father, in the lows and in the highs, you're good. No matter the circumstance, when a people can declare he's good, it's a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. So Jesus, I don't know who all is in here. It's on a good day or on a bad day. But Father, we give you our praise today. We turn our attention to you. And we say you can have all of our worship, all of our attention, all of our heart, all of our gaze. Come on, would you just set your gaze on him right now off of the distractions of life, off of the things that you you just quickly ran in here to get into the house of God. I don't know what was waiting you out there. I don't know what you woke up to. I don't know what nightmares you had. I don't know what your weekend looked like, but would you just set your gaze on him this morning? This morning, we turn our attention to you, King Jesus. We thank you that you're in this room. We honor you. 
We love you. Come on, just tell him you love him. We love you. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, everything that your pastor said to me this morning, I have to say right back at them. 17 years of friendship. Like he said, we have been through it all together. And uh, I would have to even say, uh, for sure, Pastor Les and Nikki are better pastors than Landon and I. We have watched them for years uh, be betrayed, be lied about, family members pass away, shocks come into their lives, and them give all of the glory and all of the worship and all the praise to him. And say, Lord, you have my life, my whole life. They have laid it down over and over and over again. Can I tell you that honor is just not a hand clap? Honor is a heart position. So what I felt like we were just supposed to give an honor and a hand clap, but from our hearts this morning towards your pastors. So can you just give it up for Pastor Lesson Nikki Cody? We honor you. We honor you. And I am so proud, or I'm so humbled. I'm proud of the both of you, but I'm so humbled that we get to do this together with the both of you. I'm so humbled. And I love you both very much. I honor you both. Uh, it's also my honor to get to be here this morning with you. Mercy Culture Waco, you are my favorite place to preach. Don't tell Fort Worth or anywhere else. But uh, my husband and I have had a couple of, of just rough weeks. There's been some loss. Um, one of the elders of, of Mercy Culture lost their baby this last week, the first time that we held a dead baby in our arms in a um, hospital room. The hardest thing as a friend and as a pastor we've gone through uh, but I say that because my husband was trying to replace me speaking this Sunday <laughs> to rest. And this fire came up in me and I tell him over the phone, no, Vanessa was there. And he was like, oh my gosh, you don't know just how to, and I said, no, 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 no. I stepped into uh, another room because we were in meetings and I said, no, God is going to pour out this Sunday. I'm not going in my strength. The Holy Spirit is going to pour out this Sunday. So I just pray that your hearts would just be leaned in to this moment because I wanted to be here this Sunday because I knew what God was going to pour out into this place. This house is favored. Every time I come, I am moved of what God is doing in the city of Waco. So I'm not going to preach my whole message now because I need to start from the beginning. So I'm going to tell you about my encounter last night later. <laughs> This morning, I'm preaching a message called, Who is Jesus? This is one of the most asked questions in the New Testament. If you begin to study it, you will see man after man after woman after woman after king after king after prison guard ask this question, who is this man named Jesus? 
I believe that we are in an hour again where this question is being asked because the enemy is coming to persecute and to sift the body of Christ. Why do I say that? Because I know that we are currently in end times. We don't know where we are at in that time, but the word of God says, hey, these things are going to happen. Stay awake, pay attention, and when they do, you know that his coming is near. They are happening. The, the wars are happening. The, the earthquaking is happening. The lawlessness is happening. The warnings and the signs of the times that the Bible talks about are happening. So we know that we are in those times. And if we know that the Messiah's return is close and that he is coming back when a great harvest is prepared for him, then it means that the enemy, that Satan is going to come to sift and persecute the body of Christ so that you would begin to question, wait, who is Jesus? You would begin to deconstruct his word and begin to all of a sudden, instead of diving and hungering for his word, begin to read it and all of a sudden pull it apart. This is how the enemy is coming to persecute God's bride. is so that you would lose your faith in one of the most important hours in history. That instead of preparing the bride and preparing a great harvest, that you would be picked and plucked away. So I also not only believe that is the enemy coming to persecute the church, but I also believe that God is asking this question to his bride, do you know who I am? And we saw this happen with Peter. Where Jesus said, do you know who I am? I'm about to read the scripture, but then he also warned Peter and said, do you know that Satan is coming to sift you as wheat? When Jesus was about to go to the cross, he warned him, you're going to deny me because he's coming to sift you, Peter. And in his arrogance, instead of humility, he begins to defend himself instead of deny himself. He begins to defend himself and try to convince Jesus who knows everything that he would never do that and that he will die with him. I think that there's a lot of Christianity that is like this. We think we know Jesus that we are with him, but when persecution comes, when political time comes, and all of a sudden division through news start to come, all of a sudden we start dropping like flies. Disunity took seconds, not even months. And the body of Christ begins to shake and begins to operate on the culture of the world instead of the culture of his word. Because we don't know his word. Because there's a movement right now of deconstructing his word instead of knowing it. You know, part of Faith is that we don't, we know his word, but we don't get to figure him out. That's where faith comes in, that we trust his word and we stand on it in faith and believe his word. I'm preaching ahead of myself right now, but let's go to Matthew 16, verse 13 through 20. This is Peter's confession of Christ. It says this in verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he questioned his disciples who do the people say the son of man is? One of those questions. 
They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by the flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So we just declare Yahweh that your word would become alive this morning. I declare that the spirit of revelation would come forward to awaken the body of Christ, that you would awaken us this morning that you would awaken the sleeping parts of us, Father, that is not discerning the times that we are in, that is not discerning the attack of the enemy and discerning the hour that Jesus has called and told us in his word to discern and to prepare and to be ready. Lord, this morning I pray, would you make the bride ready? I pray that we would not just hear, be hearers of the word. But Lord, I declare that you would anoint your people with action to be doers and to fulfill the word of God in and through their lives and in Waco, Texas. So Lord, I declare, let your will be done this morning. Remove my words. And Lord, I declare, would you pour out and do only what you want to do this morning in your son's and daughter's life. We declare this room is yours. The whole room is yours. We give you every part. It's all yours, King Jesus. It's all yours. So have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see forming in this time of deconstructing of Jesus and the word, a lot of ideas of who Jesus is. And this is the problem with this, is our ideas of who Jesus is become idols of Jesus. We begin to pick and choose what pieces of Jesus or what pieces of the word we want to believe. We love the grace message that he came to empower us, that he paid the price. We get to receive his grace and mercy. But man, when that preacher starts talking about truth, my flesh is inflamed. Why do they have to come in this religious way talking about all this truth? Come on, I love to hear him or receive him as healer, but him as judge. I don't want to be judged. I don't want people telling me how I need to spiritually grow or what I need to sacrifice or let go of at an altar. Come on, that holiness, that righteousness message, it's offensive to me. Isn't he the righteous one? Oh, but the righteous one came so that we could trade our unrighteousness to receive his righteousness. This is how body of Christ we have become idol worshipers because we have created our idols just like the Israelites that God delivers out of Egypt. So, and then not only does he, does he deliver them out of Egypt, but he provides and does signs and miracles on the way. But the moment he causes them to wait, to wait on him when Moses goes up to the mountaintop, 
oh, now I'm, I'm irritated. I have to wait, but I thought I was going to a promised land. I want the promises of God. So I'm gonna start to form because Moses, I'm, I'm tired of his preaching of all these sins that we need to let go. So let's start to build our ideas of God. Let's start to build this really nice God that delivered us and is feeding us. But this waiting God, no, let, let's form the promise God, the, the, the God that gives the promise. Let's begin to form our idols and begin to worship those because we're tired of waiting. This is what we have done in this waiting time. Because as we are waiting for this great revival and the return of Jesus, Christians that are also being persecuted get tired in the waiting and begin to build their idols. See, there are two things that keep you from knowing who Jesus is. And that first one is making idols out of your ideas of Jesus. You cannot really know him if you only know sides of him and have offended him to remove the other sides of who a perfect savior is. Jesus, let us know you this morning. Reveal every part of who you are this morning. So here are three misrepresentations or three idols that I have seen in this hour that we are in. There are many, but I felt the Lord highlight these three. And I named them fun names so that you can laugh in an intense message this morning. Okay, so the first one is this, is the hippie Jesus. You guys seen this? Some of you are like, oh, she's going to be speaking to me right now. Or you're thinking of somebody else that you may know that is like, yes, they serve this hippie Jesus. This is, this is the, the idol of he's all love. He's all peace. There's no hell. There's no condemnation. It doesn't matter how you live. He accepts us just as we are. He affirms us just as you are, just as we are. Some of you are like, wait, I thought, I thought he really did. We think these things because the world has begun to redefine words that God made. God is love. Jesus is love. He made and defined these words. The problem is, is now culture is redefining these words so that when we go to our word, we begin to read our word through the lens of culture and what they say the definitions are. So when we read that Jesus is love, the world says that love is acceptance. So that means if love is acceptance and I'm reading my word and Jesus is love, then surely that means Jesus accepts me just as I am. This is not true. Jesus does not affirm or accept the sin or the lifestyles we are living. In fact, it's exactly what he died for, that he gave his life on a cross so that no longer did we have to live lives of bondage, but that we would be set free from it. So yes, Jesus loves us right where we are, but he does not accept or affirm anything less than what he paid for on the cross. And this is why our walk with him is consistent in denying ourselves, in crucifying ourselves. It is consistent in repentance. It is a consistent hunger for holiness and to reflect a righteous king. 
So I ask you this morning this question. What do you determine your viewpoint or your definition of acceptance? Let me tell you what mine is. And I believe it's biblical. I believe that the definition of acceptance in the word of God is that one day at the end of my life, when I get to those gold pearly gates, that Jesus says to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. You get to come in. You get to spend eternity with me. So I am less caring about whether or not Jesus accepts me right now, but more that I live a life that is accepting to him so that one day I am allowed I am asked to enter into eternity in his glory. We are so obsessed with the life here, yet it's but a moment. And we have to be people that are focused on eternity. How when we're focused on eternity, it changes everything and how we live. Everything that we hunger for, everything that we aspire for. It changes everything and every way we go about doing everything. You can't go to the grocery store and pass that broken woman anymore. When we are eternally minded, it changes everything. I believe that that is acceptance because Jesus practiced what's called transformational inclusion, not affirmational inclusion. What do I mean by this? He did not die on a cross to affirm us. He died on a cross to transform us. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where he said, I came to make you into a new creation where the old is gone and the new comes. But see, this is what the enemy wants to say through this hippie Jesus idol is you don't have to change anything. Like it's an offensive thing to desire growth, to desire healing, to desire deliverance, to desire reflecting a perfect king. That is not offensive. That is everything I hunger for. Ha! Yeah. <sighs> are there a people that are hungry for that this morning? That it is not offensive. The gospel is not offensive. That we have to let go of our chains and bondage and we're gonna walk out free. That is not an offensive gospel. It's what the world is craving, but the only way is Jesus. Hmm. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is also under this hippie idol. He is not your homie. Remember, we were youth pastors for years, and I think, I, don't, I forget what the sign was. I think it was like Jesus with a peace sign or something, like on shirts, like Jesus is my homeboy. And I was like, what in the heck? Like, that is the last thing this young generation needs to be thinking about a king that came to set them free, that he's their homeboy. He is holy. He is holy. And when these ideas, these false ideas begin to form, we come to him differently. He is not our homeboy. But Jesus is your friend, but it's interesting. The scripture that declares him being friend in John 15, 12 through 15 says it like this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 
greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He's saying friendship is not about you affirming each other's sin. It's about laying your life down like I laid my life down for you. Then he goes on to say, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. He says, those that are my friends, those that I call friends, are those that obey my word. You have to know your word to obey his commands. And so some of us have not been able to call him friend because we don't know his word, so we don't know how to respond in obedience to his word. Oh, give us a hunger again for your word, Jesus. Jesus is also the righteous and the holy one, like I declared. Acts 3.14 says it this way. You rejected, and it calls him this, the holy and righteous one. There is this idea in this hippie Jesus idol that we are once saved, always saved. Let me shatter that idea this morning. That you are not once saved, always saved. You can turn your back on Jesus. You can fall out of the grace that he paid for. You want me to show you where? Let's go to Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. And this is why we have to discern, even in this hour, I'm going to get into it, false prophets that teach differently. Because the word of God has the answers. It says in verse 26, if we deliberately go on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no further sacrifice for sin remains. It is so clear, but let me continue. Verse 27, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume all adversaries. Those are for those that are are, are coming into this lie, the fact that there is no hell. It may not call it hell, but Mercy Culture Waco, I don't want the fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that's gonna consume me. Anybody else in the room? That sounds like a place called hell. And it's saying that it's for those that reject or de continue to deliberately sin after you have received the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it continues in verse 20, 28. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Here's New Testament for you. I think all of us think Old Testament is crazier than New Testament. This is why we have to read our word. Verse 29. How much more severely, do you think one desires to be punished who has trampled on the Son of God? Profane the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and insulted the spirit of grace. We don't hear this one preached enough in church. I think this is why we have idols of Jesus. Because when people preach this last part, insult the spirit of grace. The way that they preach it is for preachers that preach messages like this as if it's a spirit of religion. When the truth of what this means is that it is insulting to the spirit of grace when he paid the ultimate price 
for you to completely be set free and not to live with those things your entire life. So I tell you this morning, the struggles that you currently have, you do not have to have your entire life. He paid the price for that. Those addictions, those things, those temptations, you do not have to struggle with those your entire life. His blood is greater. It is more powerful. And his grace is so that we would be empowered to overcome sin, not to live in it. And it continues to say this, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's talking about what we are singing about, the fear of the Lord. It does not mean that we are afraid of him, but it means that I love him so much that the moment temptation comes my way, I grab a hold of him and that love for him all of a sudden casts those things out that are coming my direction. It means that my awe and my wonder is in him and not in those nagging things that come my way. My awe and wonder is in him. This is the fear of the Lord. The second idol is this, this angry Jesus. Many of us have formed an angry Jesus in our, idol, in, in our minds as an idol this morning. That he is mad at you. That he is disappointed in you. And so therefore he is not answering your prayers because of it. So therefore, he is just making you sick in your body because of it. Because he is a maddening, he has cursed you because of it. And he is this mad and angry God that is not blessing you, not blessing. Can I tell you that that is not Jesus? The Bible says that he is your mediator. (laughs) He is your intercessor. Meaning he is standing between earth and hell, interceding, mediating, saying no, 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 no. Her days, his days are not over. I have been interceding for this marriage. I have been interceding for this teenager. I have been interceding for this couple for too long. And he is patient and waiting to see the 2 Corinthians 5.17 where the old is made new in your life. He is the mediator that is for you, cheering you on. Uh, angels praising when you give your life to him, when you bring another soul into the kingdom. Proud of you when you finish a fast. Uh, I'm so excited to give them more power and authority. He's a good savior that's compassionate. Over and over we read in the word that what he was moved to heal people, to cast demons out, to deliver them and set them free because of his compassion. He is a compassionate king. Can I tell you that the two things that create usually this angry Jesus mindset is that you are holding on to either shame or pride. Shame of your past Or this pride of, I got to keep this church face on and not just get to fall on my face and repent. To allow healing and deliverance to enter my life. Shame is one of the greatest demons in my life that Jesus has ever helped me overcome. For years, I was a drug addict, alcoholic, did every sin that you could imagine. 
overdosed on drugs. The Lord brings me back to life literally on the third day as I'm left in an abandoned apartment. I am found, brought, do all of the blood work, everything. They said, you are a walking dead woman. God completely sets me free. Start going to a Pentecostal church. I don't understand anything that's happening around me, but all I know is it feels alive and I can actually feel God. I am not just hearing about a God. I can feel his presence and I begin to melt in that presence. But let me tell you this, the greatest demon that I faced in that moment of my life partnered with the spirit of religion found in church was shame. And the sound was this, you're not worthy to be here. You did this, this, you lifting your hands right now, that's fake. How can you lift your hands to a God you did all of these things to? You can't go up to the, do you know how foolish you will look like going up there? I know the things you did last night. Shame comes in to separate us from Christ. This happened in Genesis with Adam and Eve. When, when Eve sins and eats of the apple, in the Bible it says that she ran and hid from God. And right after that, it says that God came after them, calling out to them. Can I tell you this morning, if this is you with this wall of shame and pride in your life, he is coming after you this morning. Stop running and hiding your sin from him. Run to him. Run to a compassionate savior that is ready to set you free. Do you know that it was in that moment that the wall of shame came down when I realized that Jesus was a savior that already knew all of my sins in fact, he was the one that came into that dark place to pull me out. So how dare a demon when he goes into a dark place to pull me out and the purpose to plant me in the house of God so that I would flourish. Of course, the enemy is going to attack you with shame and pride so you don't plant yourself in the place he's going to flourish you in. We see this in John 4:42 with the Samaritan woman. I love in, in the Chosen series and getting to watch it on a screen because it shows Jesus just sitting there waiting for one woman. The whole world is happening, yet Jesus is at a well waiting for one woman when culture said, you can't do that. A man can't meet a sinful woman at a well by himself and on top of that, He's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. It was breaking every rule, cultural rule in this moment. Oh, but the Bible says in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He is seeking you out like that Samaritan woman this morning. And here's the wild thing. He begins to tell her all of her sins all of her sins. She's got to be like, okay, that's enough. I've been hiding those for a long time. I've been in shame because of how people treat me because of all of that sin for a long time. But Jesus is like, we're just going to tear down that wall of shame. So there is no more separation between you and I any longer. I know the sin and I have been sent here to free you from it and not just free you from it, but to anoint you and call you as a herald to your city.
<laughs> it says in verse 42, they said to the woman, we now believe because of, your, because of your words, and we have also heard for ourselves that we know that this man truly is the Savior of the world. So just for the religious spirit in Waco that I know is alive and well like it is in Fort Worth, God called women to preach the gospel. And God called women to preach the gospel to men. It does not just say that she went to go preach the gospel to the women in the city. She went to go testify to that entire town, which is wild because there were so many towns that Jesus went to that no miracles could break out because they were more worried about trying to deconstruct him and figure him out. But when a set free Samaritan woman walks into a town, they're all ready to receive from her and revival breaks out. I believe this is going to happen in Waco, Texas. I believe it's going to happen in Waco, Texas. Last night I was on a prayer run for this morning and I was running down by Cameron Park. And it's evening time. And there's like hundreds of people flooding the park. They're doing parties. They're doing barbecues. They're drinking and, and smoking stuff. Yes, weed is a drug for the hippie Jesus idol. It is a drug. I'm just going to pause here for a second and lean into that moment. Because th this is another culture of the world that it has invaded the body of Christ. And if Jesus says to stay awake and discern the hour you are in, do you think potentially culture is going to feed you things? to numb you, to numb your discernment, to numb your spirit man and your woman so that you are not awake when he returns. Kind of like those three, uh, those three virgins that were there waiting. And then that door closed. They said, no, let us in. For they were sleeping without oil. Come on, there are going to be tactics of the enemy in this hour drugs, pharmaceutical drugs, they are going to be some of those so that you are not alive in one of the greatest hours that I believe of all time. It is an exciting time, not a depressing time to be alive. When lawlessness arises, so does the supernatural. We are about to see an outpouring of God like America has never seen. Waco is about to see an outpouring like it has never seen. And you are the host of it. You are the host of revival. This is why he's looking for some pure vessels that would be set on fire for him that would cast some religion out and go for the Samaritan woman. Ha! Ah. So I am moved on this prayer run last night. And there's all kinds of stuff that's going on. And I'm on this run and all of a sudden I see this woman come around the corner. And she looks like she's on the verge of death. She looks, I mean, I can see demons on her. She is pale. Her cheeks are in. Her eyes are dark. And then I see two little kids. And I think what I think is her mom or a mother-in-law walk around that looks as possessed as she is. And I'm telling you, I all of a sudden am overwhelmed for grief and responsibility of this family. And I just begin to weep. 
out loud. I just be, Lord, all of heaven, stop what you're doing right now. And I'm sorry, God, if I don't have that authority, but I am asking right now in humility for all of the angelic host, for Holy Spirit, for you to invade this family, for angels to walk into that woman's room, that you would deliver and set her free. And for the mercy of those children, oh God, would you save them? And tears begin to come down my face. I said to Pastor Les in between services, I think a gift, the gift and an anointing for evangelism is on this house because I, I run every day through Fort Worth and I love people. I share the gospel with a lot of people, but I was, I was overtaken in my run last night. After I pass them, I'm still weeping and crying out for their salvation. And then I'm walking, I'm running through all the weed smoke and all the like drinking. And I just start lifting my hands and shouting out the names of God. Declaring revival in Waco. God set them free. God let them see you. Awaken, awaken the hunger that they have for the freedom that they think that's being offered to them that is not true freedom. Let them experience true freedom. God. Mercy culture, Waco, are you awake? Do you burn? And it's okay if you don't, but this morning I pray that you get it if you don't burn with that passion already. Because Waco is this beautiful thing as I was praying. Waco is the heart of Texas. I was praying for the heart of the Father in Texas. It's like not so big that you can't get your hands around it. Like, do you realize that you are in a place that is powerful, just like a heart, but small enough to crazy influence this place? I don't know if some of you are understanding what I'm saying. You're not in a city of millions. You're in a city of thousands. That means a couple hundred on fire people from Mercy Culture Waco can flip this city upside down this year. I believe it's gonna happen. This third way is this, this third idol is this historical and futuristic Jesus. I called Dr. Michael Brown, one of our apostolic elders, and I said, help me with this. This is what I'm seeing in the body of Christ. Give me the theological uh, uh, routes and backing for this. And I began to describe it, and he began to laugh. And he said, do you know that I have a book that's coming out in two days? It just came out on March 7th, and it's called Why So Many Christians Are Leaving the Faith. I encourage you to get this book, to order it, because uh, I think uh, even what I am teaching this morning, you will have an entire book of revelation in how to prepare yourself and your family for the hour that we are living in. I've already started reading it. It's a powerful book. But this historical and futuristic Jesus idol is this, is the Christians that believe in everything that Jesus once did, and they even believe that he is coming back again but there is no present presence of him. There is no present move of God or of his presence in the churches, or there is no present move of God in people's households or in their lives. There is no intimate relationship where he is speaking, where he is prophesying through dads to children, through moms to their husbands. And so there's two ways that this is taking place right now.
And the first is called this, orthodox deism. And the second is functional cessationalist. I think in your notes, it says sensationalist. It is cessationalist. But let me first break down number one, this orthodox deism. First, what is deism? Two form, there's, there's two words here that is deism and theism. Deism is this, is those that believe that God created the earth, but that he no longer has any interaction with any of his creation. They do not believe in the supernatural because God is not speaking. He is not moving in the earth and surely he does not do it through his people or through humans. And then there is what we call theism. It is those that believe that God created the earth, but that they also believe that God is moving in and through the earth and in and through his people. And so this is what orthodox deism is, is that it is a form of what we probably see as this old church model, old churches, where they're beautiful on the outside and we go in and they're dead on the inside. There is no move of God. There is no gifts of the spirit. There, there, there is none of that. It is hearing about this historical figure of Jesus, but there is no personal relationship or communion with him. Okay, this is, this, is what, this is what we see in kind of, a, of what we might say a religious form of church. But here's the second form. Functional cessationalist, they believe in the entire word of God. So they believe in the Holy Spirit. They believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But they will allow him no room to move in any of those things. Now, God be the judge of which is worse, whether to not believe in his spirit and a move of the spirit and the gifts or to believe in it and not allow him to move in his own church or in his own people. Both are operating in deception and in a lack of his authority and his power. Let me tell you what the Bible says about this. In Hebrews 13, 8, it declares that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This means that God did not just move miraculously. He did not just heal. He did not just set free at one time and that we have to sit here and wait on his return. It means that God is moving the same in the earth today, that God heals today, that God sets free, that he delivers, that he is a miracle working God today. And if we believe that, then church, we have to be the testimony of it. This is why your faith is attacked, that when a family member says they're sick, oh, I better not pray in case God doesn't answer. You just fell into the spirit of religion that fights God moving in the earth today. You want to know what I was looking for? A lost soul? Real God. Something I could feel. Somebody I could hear. Somebody that moved me out of my flesh. Somebody that came with a peace that I never felt in my entire life. If he's not moving through you, then how in the world does Waco, Texas know that there's a living God? 
This is why when you feel that attack against your faith for God to move through you, you take that step forward and remind that devil, shame was torn down, condemnation was torn down, pride was torn down, and I will humble myself again right here in this moment so that God, I could be a holy vessel for you to pour through, that your name would be made famous in my family, in my neighborhood, and in this city. Come on, we are the vessels of the movement in the earth right now. It's interesting because Jesus is also the I am. He declared I am to the Pharisees and different religious ones that would attack in who he was. And so this is what I am means. It means this, the existing one. And existing means something which is now present or now available or now in operation. So I am in John 8 when they're saying, how have you seen Abraham? You're not old enough to see Abraham. And they're kind of shushing and mocking Jesus. He declares before Abraham was born, I am. He was saying, I existed then, I exist now, and I will exist tomorrow and for all time. You cannot remove me from any point of time. I am the I am. <sighs> we worship the I am, the I am, the power in him declaring to those mocking him, oh no, I am. Not, not trying to explain himself, explain his holiness, explain, don't you see I'm the savior God sent. In fact, most of the time you see him saying, don't tell anybody that, I was, that I'm the savior. Why? Because he didn't care for his name to be known, yet he just came to come set some captives free. And he knew the more you let my name known, the more they're going to fight me. So shh, don't say anything because my time is of not yet. I have a bunch of souls that I am hungry for to set free. See, it's interesting that those that fought Jesus or that those that couldn't receive Jesus were those that were hearing about him but didn't necessarily have the need to go find out who he was for themselves. See, the hungry ones, like the woman with the issue of blood, that knew she just had to get a touch. The one that said, I have to go to him, to see him, to touch him, to feel him. There was an immediate manifestation of his power that Jesus didn't even give the authority to leave him but her hunger pulled it out of him. But it's interesting, those that didn't want to go find out for themselves, those that couldn't leave things behind, all of a sudden, who is this Jesus? Isn't he from Nazareth? Isn't he the son of Joseph? Isn't he from this, this small place? See, what am I saying? I'm saying you can't come and hear about him, Mercy Culture Waco on Sundays. You have to know him. You have to encounter him. You have to go find out for yourself his goodness, his mercy. You have to encounter him daily. The vision of this house has to become the personal vision of your house. You have to know him for yourself. 
Or guess what? You become the one. When hard time comes, when the next political season comes and division is all over the news and all of a sudden my faith is shaky. How does the news and a political run make our faith shaky in Jesus? Oh, because we just heard about him. We don't know him. We have to be a people that know him. Then we laugh in the face of the enemy when he comes with offense. For us to be offended at our pastors, offended at our brothers and sisters, offended at the house of God. He is coming to snatch you up and pull you out at one of the most important hours in history. So how? Wait, I can't go there yet. I have to say this. If the word of God is the most powerful book that will ever be, Jesus, the most powerful man that ever walked this earth, and you are the thing that he loves most in this earth. And the world is after power and love. We see this distortion of what love is right now. Love is love. I can't even, this is a different message. But it is a direct attack on the body of Christ. It is a direct attack on the body of Christ. If it is the most powerful book that has ever come to this earth, the most powerful man, and he loves you the most, he's coming back for you, then don't you think that the enemy might come in this hour if he's going to steal power, he's going he's gonna to try to deconstruct this word love so that he can usurp the bride from the bridegroom. He can come and begin to put deceit and lies in your spirit. In fact, I believe in one of the greatest revivals I've already declared that we are amongst. I also believe we are beginning to see one of the greatest wars we will ever see and that war is over you because the greatest power if the word of God and his spirit lives in you and he loves you the most it means the greatest war is on its way oh because it wants that power and it wants to take what he loves most from him this is how literally the enemy thinks he will stop the Son of Man from returning. This is why we have to be awake in this hour. Do you know how valuable you are to Jesus? Because if you don't know your value and worth, you won't know how to protect you. You won't know how to guard your family. You have to know your value and your worth, that he loves you more than absolutely anything. And it's why the world is coming after the bride and the body of Christ. So Matthew, he, he actually warns of this in, he warns us of this in Matthew 24. Starting in verse 4, it says this that Jesus answered, see to it that no one deceives you. So let me just pause here. If I read this verse, I am instantly saying, Jesus, give me that gift of discernment and wisdom that I would know who is coming to deceive because deception is this. It is a partial truth, which isn't really a truth, but it sounds and looks like the truth, but it's partnered with lies. And this is why people don't see when others are walking in it or when we're walking in it.
because it's deception. So we have to be discerning, armed with the gifts of the Spirit so that we would see clearly. So Jesus says, see to it that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Christ. Look, I am the Christ means this, Messiah or anointed one. It doesn't mean everybody is showing up, hey, I'm Jesus Christ. I've come to return to take you to heaven with me. No, they're going to come as the anointed ones saying, look at all these things that I can do to draw attention to themselves and away from him. Any prophet of God, any preacher, pastor, evangelist, if they are truly from God, they will never point you to themselves. They will point you to him. False prophets will come saying they are from him but they want you to themselves. They want the praise. They want the glory. They want the followers. They want the dollars. They want the power. Lord, give us discernment for this hour. For it says in verse five, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, the anointed one will deceive many. At that time, listen church, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. I have seen this happen. I have seen it happen with leaders and churches. I have seen it happen with Christians that have been in the faith for decades, leaving the faith because they have turned away from the faith and listened to false prophets. And then it says this, that they will begin to betray and hate one another. So they will begin to attack the body of Christ. They'll begin to attack Christians and form these deconstructive ideas to pull out other Christians with them. And it says, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. And if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So practical advice to not be deceived by false teachers or prophets to not begin to form these ideas or idols of Jesus would be these three things. One, know your word. You must be a people that know your word. John 1, 1, uh, 9 through 14 also declares that Jesus is the word. So in knowing the word, you begin to know the Messiah all the greater. We must know our word. Let, let me say this before I move on. We cannot read the Bible to use it to back up what we think we already know so well. Every time I come and I open the word of God, I humble myself and I say, Lord, any ideas or thoughts, any ways that are in me that do not honor you, that do not glorify you, that are not right, let this truth from this word confront me. The word of God should offend us. It should offend our flesh. It should call us higher and call us lower, both at the same time, calling us to a higher standard of living to reflect him and calling us lower to glorify him in all that we do. So we must not know the word to back ourselves up in what we want to say, but that it confronts us and teaches us in greater levels of who he is. The second is this, that we must stay planted in the house of the Lord. Psalms 92, 13 says this, that if you stay planted in the house of the Lord, there you will flourish. I'm telling you, in this hippie Jesus idol thing, 
It's all about my relationship with him, but I don't need church. My church wounds of my past, I was hurt there as long as I love Jesus. I don't need to go back. Let me tell you, you do. You need godly community around you and you need accountability from pastors and leaders around you. And this is why so many are easily fallen prey because they are the sheep outside of the flock that gets picked off by the wolves first. You must stay planted in the house of the Lord in this hour. And the third is this, is your daily encounters. And I know I already ministered on this, but you must know him for yourself. And the only way that this takes place is through your daily encounter. So who is this Jesus? There are over a hundred names for Jesus in the Bible, but there are a few that were most prominent in the New Testament. And the first one is this, it is Lord. Lord is mentioned, that name is mentioned over seven hundred times in the New Testament. I believe that the name Lord, we can sing it easy in worship, but many of us have not made him Lord over our lives because we want him as the healer and redeemer. But when we say Lord, it means he invades every area of our life. It means I fully submit everything I have, everything I know, every gift, my children, everything is his. And he begins to be Lord over it all. This is so challenging for us because some of the maybe businessmen or women in this house, this pride begins to flourish up and says, but I worked so hard for this. Oh, but I built this. Oh, but I provide for my family. I'm the one that's working so hard. Woo! And we forget that your ability to work so hard, where it came from. We forget where that business idea came from. We forget where that blessing over that business, that favor came from. Because he has to be Lord over it all. Or he becomes Lord of nothing in your life when all of a sudden everything becomes hard. Everything is harder when you are doing it in your own strength and not by the strength of Jesus. See, the spirit of rebellion in our life says, I don't need him to be Lord over it all. I'll let him have access in some of these areas. What you're talking about laying all this down at an altar acting like a fool at an altar, weeping as a man at an altar. I don't know about all of this, Lord, over it all. Let me minister to you this morning. It becomes so easy. And the heavy weights that are on your shoulders this morning, the burdens you are carrying this morning, all of the sudden you realize the revelation of his yoke is easy and his burden is light when you make him Lord over it all. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Wild, the son of God came and did not consider equality with God. He showed us the way of humility it says, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and
and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Come on, that Jesus Christ is. Yes, to the glory of God the Father, that every soul would know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Second is this. The Son of Man. He was named and called the Son of Man all throughout the New Testament. John 12, 34 through 36 says it like this, the crowd replied, we have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? They begin to question this Messiah again. Who is this son of man? Then Jesus told them for a little while longer, the light will be among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons and daughters of light. The son of man came to make sons and daughters of light. That is you, that you would receive your Savior, but not just him for a moment that you are one day going to heaven, but that his Holy Spirit would invade you, would completely fill you with his light, and all of a sudden you become this vessel of light that wherever you go, darkness has to be exposed, that you begin to expand territory in every dark area, in every dark place. And it becomes real estate for the kingdom of heaven. That is souls. That is families. That is businesses. When you walk into a place, ha, Jesus, invade this business. You walk into your kids' school, Jesus, invade this school. Every other spirit but the Holy Spirit has to go. Holy Spirit, fill this school right now. Come on, that you as a parent, that you as an individual would begin to walk into public places, releasing the light of Jesus and telling darkness, you have to go. He's also called the Son of God. In Luke 4, 41, it says, demons also came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked the demons and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. I believe, and I don't say this to be offensive. Hopefully it offends us because I hope my, my flesh is offensive every time I come, offended every time I come into his presence so that my flesh does not lead me, but my spirit man and the Holy Spirit leads me. But I believe that demons know who Jesus is better than most Christians. It is why they have a tenacity to come after you in the way that they do because they know his power and they trust he's coming back. Do you know him that well that you are set on fire for the purposes of God? Because they are set on a different type of fire to stop you from knowing him like that. 
I also believe that we spend more time listening to demons than we do the Holy Spirit. Notice that Jesus said he would not, the Bible says that Jesus would not allow them to speak. He cast them out. See, so many of us hear God on a Sunday morning and we go back to Monday and we go back to listening to the demons. We go back to listening to the lies. We go back to listening to the persecution, the unholy thing. We go back to listening to demons talking to us. All of the sudden exchanging our identity of what Christ said on Sunday for the identity that the demons are telling us on Monday. But can I tell you, you have the authority of Jesus living in the inside of you. All it takes in one moment when that demon comes tonight to begin to tempt and speak to you. You say, go in the name of Jesus. Be silenced in the name of Jesus. You begin to declare the blood of Jesus over your mind. The blood of Jesus over your marriage, over your children. Holy Spirit, no other spirit but the Holy Spirit in this household. You begin to do that and the demons have to flee. They don't get to stay. Ha. They don't get to stay when the name of Jesus is uttered. It's that simple. It is that simple. But do you know your value? Are you sure in your faith in knowing who Jesus is? This morning, we're not making it far if we're bowing to confusion. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So when confusion comes this week, I'm leaning into this place because this is real. This is what comes at you all week while you feel like you're barely crawling into the presence of God on Sunday. Because you are listening, you are entertaining, you are bowing to too many demons during the week that you have the authority over. Confusion, go. Fear, go. Anxiety, go. Perversion, go. Lust, Go, lies, go, jealousy, go, envy, go. Come on, all of it. What is he persecuting you with? Stop bowing to it. It's a beautiful thing when we learn to deny ourselves with Christ, carrying our cross, but stop bowing to the lies of the demons. That's not carrying your cross. Thank you, Jesus. So do you know Jesus this morning? Worship team, come up. I want to ask you, do you know him as the word? Do you know him as the Christ? Do you know him as a savior, as the redeemer? Do you know him as Emmanuel, God with us? Do you know him as bread of life? Do you know him as the author of life? So therefore he cannot say death or abortion is okay. Do you know him as the author of life? Do you know him as the I am? Do you know him as the advocate or your mentor? Do you know him as the mediator and the judge? Do you know him as the chief cornerstone? Do you know him of the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah? Do you know him as the good shepherd? Do you know him as your friend? 
as healer, as a way, the truth and the life, as the Messiah, the anointed one. Do you know him as the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega? Do you know him as wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Holy One of God? Do you know him as a high priest and as an apostle, as your master? Do you know him as master? As I was running last night, I began to weep and cry, what an honor that I get to be your bond servant, that you get to be my master, ha ha ha, that I get to be your servant all the days of my life, what an honor. Oh, do you know him as your bridegroom? Do you know him as the true vine? As the door, as the gate, as the righteous branch, as the bride and morning star, as the author and finisher of your faith. Do you know who Jesus is? Mercy culture, Waco, you have to be obsessed with this question. You must be obsessed to get to know who this man is, Jesus, for yourself. The second way outside of your ideas and idols that gets in the way of you knowing Jesus is this. Worship team, go ahead and play is your strengths. What do you mean? Heather, let's go. Let's go back to our opening scripture. Matthew 16, 13. It was Peter's confession of Christ, remember? Jesus said to Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it says in that portion of scripture that all of a sudden, Jesus begins to praise Peter. <laughs> so beautiful. But then, if you read in John 6, it's a very different story of the same exact moment. Many would look at this and, and in a deconstruction fashion say, oh, they didn't agree, they didn't write the same thing, so therefore this probably did not happen. Let me tell you this. There were many incredible men and women that surrounded Jesus. And just like if you and I went on a vacation, we had, and we went back and wrote, there would be many different highlights that stuck out to me and different ones that stuck out to you. And just because I write about the highlights that really stuck out to me and somebody else wrote about the other ones doesn't mean the vacation didn't happen. It means actually what we did as these creative writers that saw things and praised these different portions of the vacation differently and different parts of the vacation filled my rest than the other person. What's really neat is it gives the full picture of what took place. And so in this same moment as Jesus is praising Peter, in John 6, 68 and 69, it says this. So Jesus asked the 12, do you want to leave too? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. In verse 70, Jesus answered them, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He was speaking about Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For although Judas was one of the 12, he was later to betray Jesus. 
So this is crazy because John writes not of the praising of Peter, but he writes of the first moment of Jesus calling out the betrayer Judas. So in the same moment that God the Father reveals who the Son of Man is, who the Son of God is, sifting comes in the disciples. Let them have ears to hear this morning. Let the fear of the Lord be present and the awe of God be present. When God reveals who his son Jesus is, a sifting moment comes in the disciples. Those who would be faithful and the one who would betray and fall away. This is what the sifting of Satan comes to do. And it also comes at the revealing of who the Messiah is and what he's coming to do. Because many will be offended. I've been reading through Instagram and these different wild storms and earthquakes and slides and things that are happening. And people saying this is God's judgment. And then Christians saying things like, ah, Our New Testament God would never do something like that. You Pharisee, how dare you call something like that something that our God would do? Have we not read the New Testament that he actually warned us that these things would come? And maybe he is less concerned about those that know him because all he is doing is saying, come be with me sooner in a perfect world, in my perfect presence. And maybe he's a little bit more concerned about a bunch of people saying worshiping, selling their kids off, and allowing them to transform their body parts. Maybe Jesus is just a little bit more concerned about those ones than the saved ones. Those types of answers tell me a lot of Christians don't know this Jesus and who he is. So it's a sifting moment. It's wild that God decides to reveal his son through Peter. See, it's interesting because you would think Judas was the trusted one because he was put over all the money and over the finances. He must have had the gifts to be able to do that, to steward well, to be able to know that they had enough for where they were going. There must have been some gifts, some talents, some strengths he had for them to choose him to do that. (laughs) And then here's Peter. Hot mess most of the time. Cutting off ears, called Satan, being rebuked left and right. I mean, it's just just like a moment after a moment. It's like, Peter, just just close your mouth and listen. Always interrupting Jesus when he's told, let me give you my ideas. Arguing with the disciples in the back, who's going to be the greatest? Yet this is who? God 
God decides to reveal his son through the one that wasn't the strongest because that's how God is glorified. This is what he told me this morning. He said, this morning they're going to lay their idols of me down, but they're also going to lay their strengths down. He said, they're so used to laying their weaknesses and their sin down. But oh, how they hold on to their strength. But they don't see that the way that they've held on to their strengths has gotten in the way of me using them because their strengths bring them glory, not me. And I'm a jealous father that is coming with a revival fire, but only for those that can humble themselves and allow my power and my strength so that he would get the glory and not you and not me. Oh, but some of you would say, but God anointed me with this. He gave me this strength. He answered this prayer. This is prophecy over me that I am walking out. Did you ever hear of Abraham and Isaac? God promised Isaac to Abraham his entire life. Abraham waits for his promise. And what is God a mean God? We know he's not a mean God. He's a compassionate God. What was he doing to ask Abraham that at the very end of his life, he has finally given him his promise. And Abraham is so happy to have his promise, his son. And now God says, give it up and sacrifice it. See, God had to get a hold of Abraham's heart because it wasn't just about his son Isaac. He was calling him to birth. He was calling him to raise. See, God had bigger plans for Abraham to be the father of many nations. And this is why self is going to be one of the worst idols and demons of this hour. This is why we worship self, because we can't get over what's ours. My promise, my dream, my strengths, this is what makes me me. This is what makes me successful. This is my, my, prancer, my answered prayer, God. He said, I can't come and pour through a people like that that wants the glory for themselves and that can't see that I am doing something much greater. If they can't give up their Isaacs, how do I make him a father of nations? This morning he is saying to you, if you can't give up your Isaacs, how in the world do I pour revival through you for Waco, for Texas, for America, for the nations? I feel the fire of God this morning. Ah, Lord, rid us of ourselves. I don't know what it is this morning that you need to let go of. But you have let some things, some strengths, some successes make up who you are. And it is in the way of God moving through you. It is in the way of God being mighty through you. It is in the way of God's power flowing through you. Because he's looking. Ha! 
He's looking. He just said it to me. He said, I'm looking for pure, empty vessels. See, we come into this place and we think we have to show all of who we are into the world, all of who we are, our social media, all of who we are, all the great things. And he's saying, no, I want some pure and empty vessels so I can pour my oil through you. Second Corinthians 12, nine through 10 says this, but he said to me, he's saying this to you, Mercy Culture Waco. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest in me. That is why for the sake of Christ, I delight in weakness, in the insults, in the hardships, in the persecutions, in the difficulties. For when I am weak, he is strong. I feel the glory of God in this room right now. So I just want to invite you up this morning. If you already know what those idols of Jesus, if you already know what those strengths that you need to lay at this altar this morning, I invite you to kneel anywhere around this room or to come kneel at this altar. Because I believe that this morning he is preparing you. Mercy Culture Waco as a house of revival. But he can't do it when you're in the way. Oh, so Jesus, right now, we just invite you in. Ha. Ah. Oh, Jesus, would you begin to remove self? Would you begin to show us where there's self-promotion? Would you begin to show us the strengths that have really truly become weaknesses that we depend on, oh God? that have made up our identity, that has replaced our number one identity as a son and daughter of the Most High King. Oh God, this morning we ask, what do you want to clear out of us? Come on, I don't want to be the only one asking him this morning. I can't ask for you. You're going to have to ask for yourself. Come on, ask him, what is it, Jesus? What's in the way of me knowing all the sides of you? What's in the way? Come on, ask him, what are those strengths? What are those false ideas of him? Come on, ask him. <sighs> Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Give them visions. Show them the things that they've leaned upon, Jesus. Show them the areas of performance, oh God. Show them the things that they're doing in their own strength. Ooh, some of the mothers in the room. has become your sole identity to do everything perfect and right. And you haven't asked him in a long time, what's his ways for your children? And you have been so frustrated as a parent that it's not working out the way you thought it would, that it is hard to parent. Let me tell you, it becomes easy when you lean into Abba, when you begin to ask for the Father's heart and how to parent your children. Come on, some of you don't know him as counselor. 
those pharmaceutical drugs, those other drugs may be in the room that has been your counselor, that needs to be removed this morning, that needs to be laid at this altar this morning. Come on, right now, would you just ask him? And would you pour yourself out, pour yourself out to him?
Jesus do you hunger for? What part of Jesus do you not know? What's the part of Jesus this morning that says, I hunger for you, mighty God. I hunger for you, judge. I hunger for you, redeemer. I hunger for you, offer of life. I hunger for you, Lord of you bound that became big things and this is what happens when we begin to release those things this beautiful thing at the same time God begins to infiltrate with his power with his mercy with his grace and with his strength this is the moment that all of a sudden that revelation of his yoke being easy and his burden being light that you never understood. That you say, I have never experienced that. The revelation happens in moments like this. That when you give up what you have done in your own strength, all of a sudden the anointing of evil 